You're listening to Pastor David Gusick preach through the Book of Acts at Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. The theme from the Book of Acts is Spirit-Driven. Father, I'm so grateful for another opportunity to stand before your people here and to give our attention to your word and to listen to what your spirit would speak to us, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness to do this with us week after week. And now, Lord, we pray that you would pour into us so that through us you can touch needs in our own community and to a needy world. Thank you, God, for this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. What a great text we have in front of us this morning, starting in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. But as before, I'll give a little bit of a lead in because we're making our way through a story, right? We're making our way that begins in Acts chapter 1 and continues all the way through the book of Acts. And so just so you have a little bit of context to put this morning's section in, I'll give a little bit of a lead up to it. You see, to this point in the book of Acts... The work and the message of Jesus has spread out from Jerusalem, out from Judea, and now into a region called Samaria. Now, it was not the apostles, those original 12 disciples. It was not the apostles that brought the message of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem over to Samaria. Instead, it was a young, I say perhaps, we're not given his age, we're just sort of assuming that he's young, or at least younger than most of the apostles, but, but a young leader among the Christians named Philip. And the work that God did through Philip in Samaria was really remarkable. I mean, the, the, the text in Acts chapter 8 just clicks us through many of the different features. I'll just read it through quickly. Acts chapter 8, all of this is from there. Verse 5 tells us that Philip preached Jesus to them. Verse 6 tells us that multitudes responded with faith, not just a few, but it uses that word multitudes. Verses 6 and 7 tell us that the remarkable power of God was evident there among the Samaritans. Verse 8 tells us that there was great joy in the city. Verse 12 tells us that many were baptized. Verse 13 tells us that that sorcerers, or one notable sorcerer named Simon, responded with faith and followed. Uh, Verses 14 through 17 tell us that the apostles came and approved of the work. And then it tells us that there was a remarkable outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon those who believed through the ministry of the apostles. And then finally, in verse 25, it tells us that the apostles Peter and John preached in a great number of these Samaritan villages. So, So all in all, when you take that picture all together about what was happening in Samaria... You'd say this is a remarkable work of God. Some people would call this, and again, there's no hard and fast terminology, but some people would call this revival. Some people would call it spiritual awakening. Matter of fact, if you were really get technical, and sometimes you can over, uh, you know, you can get overly technical with these terms, but, but I think if you wanted to be a little bit more precise, you probably would not call this revival. Because revival is reviving of something that once had spiritual life. You could say this, and again, I don't want to get too... I'm not trying to split hairs, but I'm just giving you a general thought. Revival is when God does a work among his people, right? He he stirs us up. He, He does a remarkable work among us. I would call when God spills that same work of the Holy Spirit out beyond the confines of the church, of his community, and into the community at large, I'd call that spiritual awakening. 
So again, without trying to go overly technical, I'd make a distinction between revival that happens among the church and spiritual awakening that happens among those who have not yet put their trust in Jesus Christ and they get awakened to the things of God. Well, since there was no church in Samaria before this, I think you could technically call this spiritual awakening more than revival, whatever you want to call it. It was a time of remarkable progress and growth for the kingdom of God. And we know this. We know this from the scriptures. We know this from history. And some of us know it by personal experience that there are just seasons of remarkable progress in God's work. And listen. We serve God and we're faithful to him in easier times, in harder times. It doesn't really matter, right? But don't we rejoice when God sends such remarkable seasons. And that's exactly what was happening in Samaria. And there's something thrilling about such times. You can imagine how amped up, how exciting, just what a great thing it was to be in this context of this ministry in Samaria. The gospel is just exploding like a bomb, so to speak, in that area. It's absolutely thrilling. And, and Philip is just right there at the center of it, right? There is this young man. He's just right there at the middle. God is using him in, in unprecedented ways, day of Pentecost kind of ways. And then what happens? The weirdest thing happens in the world. Look at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. As great as that work was in Samaria, just thriving, pulsating, pumping with the work of God, God does something really unique. He speaks to Philip and he goes, get out of town. I'm using you in an amazing way, excuse me, right there in Samaria. Now leave. Leave the area. Now, listen, there's a lot of things for us to gather from this particular text. But one thing I want to hammer home, and I'm going to get it right here at the very beginning, because I want to get it in several times. It shows us that this, it shows us that big evangelism is great, right? Was what God was doing among the Samaritans, was that not great? Big evangelism is great, but one by one evangelism is also great. God took Philip. From this situation where he was at at ground zero, so to speak, of this amazing work uh, among many, many people. And he pulled him out of that to go minister to one and one alone. And to me, this teaches a very important. Listen, I'm all for big evangelism. I love big evangelism. I love to see many people come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you were to speak to me in my own human reckoning, if you could give me the choice between one person coming to faith in Christ and a thousand people coming to faith in Christ, it wouldn't take me very long to, to figure out which one's better, right? I wouldn't have to pray about it. I'd say, thousand, that's better. And it is. Big evangelism is great. And so I love it when, when it's done, or especially when we have participation, evangelistic events, reaching the community, large-scale crusades, whatever we can do to reach as many as possible, that's great. But we never, ever want that to diminish our value of reaching people one at a time. There is tremendous value in the sight of God of one individual soul, just one. And that's one of the things that this great text shows us. So if you notice here, verse 26, what does it say? Arise and go towards the south. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, telling him to do that. Now, now we might have thought that Philip would object to having this great success in the city of Samaria, go out 
to the desolate desert and, and, and finish his work there. But God had a plan in it all. Philip did it. I just think of what I would do if I was in Philip's shoes. Here I am seemingly to be the front line man, utterly indispensable in this work. And yet God speaks to me and says, go leave this and go work with one person. I'll tell you what I might say. I might say, get away from me, devil. That can't be the Lord. Wouldn't a lot of us object and such it's away. No, no, no. It could never be God's will to leave a ministry from the more and go to one person. I think one of us or many of us would likely think that not only was the devil speaking, but would come up with a lot of excuses in our mind. Here's three classic excuses that we would raise in that regard. We'd say, no, Lord, not me. Wouldn't it be easy for Philip to say that? Oh, Lord, I know you're calling somebody to go out to the desert, but not me. No, no, not me. Or how about this one? Uh, not now. No, Lord, not now. Surely you got somebody else. I'll continue on. The ministry's going great here in Samaria. You must mean me to go somewhere else later. No, no, no. Not me. Not now. And then how about this? Not there. Oh, no, Lord, not there. Don't you love that little phrase there at the end of verse 26? This is desert. Just like he's rubbing it in a little bit. This is terrible. This is desert. You're going from thriving, fruitful ministry. Go out and go nowhere. Now, leaving that kind of fruitful ministry to go to a desert, it's foolish from man's perspective, but but it's wise if it's directed to God. Listen, what could be more foolish than to leave thriving ministry in Samaria to go nowhere? And that's where it was. But listen, I want you to see something that the Holy Spirit was guiding Philip, wasn't he? Now, we saw several months ago when we were in Acts chapter 2, how the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all the disciples. And a matter of fact, just earlier in Acts chapter 8, we saw how when Peter and John laid hands on the Samaritan believers, that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And we see the Holy Spirit working among the many. You know what I love about this? The Holy Spirit's working among the one, too, isn't he? Isn't that great? You see, now he's working with the individual. And I'm not trying to imply that the Holy Spirit wasn't working in the individual before, but now it's highlighted for us in the text. Philip was being led by the Spirit one-on-one. And now God was moving somebody else by the Spirit as well. You know who the other person was being moved on by the Spirit? It was the Ethiopian that he's going to meet in just a few verses, right? God was positioning people on his chessboard, so to speak. And so God was moving in the multitudes, for sure by his spirit, but now he's moving in the singular individual life. I wonder how you feel about that in your life. Do you ever have the sense that the Holy Spirit is guiding you? Do you ever have the sense that you're being moved upon by the Holy Spirit? Now listen, this is sort of of a delicate area in the Christian life, is it not? Because I think that there's some people who take these concepts and, and, and take them too far. I, I honestly remember, it, it just seemed to me like taking it too far. I don't mean to be too judgmental, but I'll just share it with you. I, I honestly remember a woman who, who told us that she would stand before her washing machine and, and she had a few different kind of laundry detergents and she would ask the Holy Spirit which kind of laundry detergent that he wanted to use for that particular load. I don't know about you, but that seems to me like a little bit out there. <laughs> but, you know, uh, on the other hand, I will say this. Isn't there something beautiful about a life that's just daily submitted to God's leading? 
and says, Lord, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to do it? God, I have my plans. I, I got to go to work. I got to go to school. I got things planned out for my family. But Lord, I just want to surrender the whole day to you. And however you want to move in my schedule, however you want to move outside of my schedule, this day belongs to you, Jesus. Won't you guide me in it? Isn't there something just absolutely beautiful about that? And I don't know if you've had that sense. If you don't have that sense, I hope you will have that sense that the Holy Spirit is living and active and guiding in your individual life. Now, for some of you, I say that and you just rejoice. Yes, I want that. For some others, that scares you to death. Guys, just, just relax. Just relax. God loves you and you don't need to fear being surrendered to the spirit of God. And some of you think, well, listen, if I surrender myself to God's leading on those bunch, he's going to torture me. He's going to make me do all those things I don't want to do. <laughs> That's not the way God works. He loves you. He cares for you. And, and it's shown by his individual dealing here. Well, well, notice here, look who Philip met. Verse 27, it says, So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a, a eunuch of great authority under Candace and the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, and he came to Jerusalem and to worship, and he was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Isn't that wonderful? Philip does what God tells him. By the way, I just think it's amazing. Let's chart this way. Philip's there in Samaria, fruitful ministry, right? God tells him to go, go down to the desert, go down this road in the middle of nowhere. And what does he do? He goes down to a road in the middle of nowhere. He did what God told him to do. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes we complicate the Christian life so much, right? How about this? Why don't you do what God tells you to do? He tells you to put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. Why don't you do that? He he tells you to walk in a sense of of denial to self and putting your focus on God and his great working love. Well, why don't you do that? On and on and on. I confront myself with that. You confront. we'll, We'll do it. Philip did what God told him to do. And as he walked along with it, he met, verse 27 tells us, a man of Ethiopia who had come to Jerusalem to worship. On that desert road, Philip encountered this Ethiopian proselyte, we would call him to Judaism, returning from Jerusalem. And what was he doing? He was in a chariot reading the Bible. There he is from this country south of where Israel was. And he was a high official in that government, right? You could say this. I like what one commentator said. He said that he was a noble man on a noble search. And I don't know if the Ethiopian felt like he found God on his search there in Jerusalem. Maybe he felt like, look, there's something to this God of Israel thing. I want to go to Jerusalem and see if I could connect with him. I don't know if he felt fulfilled in that search. I don't know if he felt frustrated in that search. But I do know this. He was on his way away from Jerusalem reading his Bible and God was going to meet him right then and there. And again, I want to emphasize this. God was going to extraordinary lengths to love and to reach that one man. We don't even know his name, right? We just know an Ethiopian man, a high government. We don't even know his name, but we know that God loved this man and wanted to reach the one. I'll say it again because I want to emphasize it many times in the brief time I have to speak with you. God cares about the one. Here you are, you're sitting here this morning in the midst of a lot of people. There's hundreds of people around you. It's easy for you to think God really cares about other people in this room. He doesn't care so much about me. God cares about you. 
He cares about the one. You as an individual, not just you as a number. You don't have a number before God. You have a name, you have a heart, you have a person. God knows you and he cares about you. All of this makes me think of a couple I know in ministry. You know, in our time in Europe, we got to meet a lot of wonderful servants of God. And two people that we met, I don't think you've ever met them. I don't think they've ever been here visiting our church. A couple wonderful people that we met, I mean, Mike and Valerie Harrington. Mike and Valerie Harrington were working with the Calvary Chapel Bible College campus that was in Jerusalem for many years. But because of visa problems that come up with Christian workers in Israel often, it's nothing unusual, they were denied entrance into the country. And they landed with us at the Calvary Chapel Bible College campus there in Germany. And we, they were just great servants, great people to have around on our campus. And you know what? Uh, uh, within the last year, they left their work at Calvary Chapel Bible College, Germany. And they went to Turkey. And you know what God called them to do there to go to Turkey? You see, they had been to Turkey many times before doing ministry. And they had led a guy to the Lord. I think, I don't remember the story perfectly. I'm bad at remembering such stories. I think they led the Lord on a ferry. There they were going from one place to another. They, they shared the gospel with this guy, this Turkish man. He received the Lord. He was genuinely converted. That's, you know what God led them to do? God led them to leave the work they were doing there at the Bible college and go to Turkey to disciple one man. I said, what are you, crazy? You, you can minister to many more people here at the Bible College. Isn't it better economics for you to minister to many instead of one? And generally speaking, you'd say so. But when the Spirit leads you to say, I care about this one man, will you pour your life into him? They said, yes, we'll do it. And listen, they trusted that God would give them ministry to, to a man, uh, to other people other than just that one particular man, but they didn't know it. God told them, you go to Turkey with the heart that you're there to pour into one man. Isn't that beautiful? But again, it shows God's heart of care and concern for the one, not just the many. We find out a little bit more about this man. Verse 27 tells us that he was a man of great authority who had charge of all of her treasury. The, the Ethiopian was a successful man. Yet all of his success obviously didn't answer all the questions in his life. He was a very high government official. He was a man of wealth, a man of status, a man of prestige. Yet he needed some real spiritual answers in his life. And he was seeking God. There, verse 28 tells us that he was reading Isaiah the prophet. He was hungry for God's word. Now that scroll that he had of Isaiah the prophet, typically in the ancient world, that would cost him a lot of money. He didn't care. He was a man who could afford it. He was there seeking after God, reading his word uh, there on that trip from uh, the area of Jerusalem back down to Ethiopia. Now, verse 29, this is beautiful. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and to sit with him. Isn't this great? I love this. First of all, verse 29, the spirit said to Philip, now, don't you think that took real boldness for Philip to go right up to the Ethiopian's chariot and speak to him? That was bold, isn't it? Philip says, look, I'm just a simple guy. I mean, nobody knows who I am. 
Here's this Ethiopian man. He's important. And I don't know how it was. It says he was in a chariot. I don't know if it was some kind of cart. I can't get the picture out of my mind about all these guys carrying something. You know how they have about eight guys carrying it? It was a chariot. It wasn't something like that. But that's the picture in my mind. Anyway, they're making their way down there. And there they are, this whole sort of procession. It's obviously not just the Ethiopian. He sees, man, this guy's got money. This guy's got importance. This guy's got a prestigious position. He's the secretary of the treasury for Ethiopia. I mean, this is a very important man. I can't just go talk to him. But no, the spirit told him to go talk to him. And he did. He was a rich man, a man of power, and at least in some way a celebrity. But Philip knew something. He knew that that man needed Jesus just as much as anybody else. You know, we should never fear speaking to those who in this world are considered to be more important about Jesus. So I think about it. Think about people here this morning. You know, I'd sp- here at Calvary there's a lot of successful people. There's a lot of people, you may, at least in your circle, you're some kind of celebrity. People know your name. You, you, you have some kind of importance, some kind of weight in your daily life. Maybe some of you are very successful in whatever thing. You've got uh, whatever fame, whatever fortune. It can be in your circle. Man, you've got it. Can I say, you need Jesus just as much as anybody else. You, you, you're not so well off in this world. You're not so uh, famous or filled with attention or praise from others that you don't need Jesus. Everybody does. This Ethiopian eunuch, he needed Jesus very much so. You know, sometimes we shrink back from speaking boldly to people about Jesus. You know, the world has a way of letting us know that you shouldn't talk about such things, right? I don't know. It's just an environment, right? Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus. It's just this thing that the world puts upon us. You know, I just find it interesting, don't you, that the world out there does not hesitate to impose its message on us. There's a message that this world has, right? Isn't there just sort of a general message out there about um, what brings happiness in life, right? Watch television for two hours and you'll get a great lesson on what the world thinks happiness is about, right? What brings fulfillment in life? What's good? What's bad? What's healthy? What's sick? what we should go after, what we should not go after. All of that message is out there in the world. And let me tell you something. They cram it down our throats. Well, listen, how about this? Let's just make it an agreement, right, with the just great big general world out there, right? When they stop cramming their message down our throats, then we'll stop bringing our message to them. But as long as they're going to be bold and forward and bring their message to us, Why can't we be bold and forward in bringing our message to them? And here's the message. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins and to bring you into right relationship with God. And it doesn't matter if you want that right relationship with God or you don't want it. You need it. And that's the message that Jesus came to bring to us. We can bring that message to the world even if they don't want to hear it. Now I need to see one other thing about verse 29 before I go on. Notice that it says there that the Spirit said to Philip. I don't know how the Spirit said that. Most likely, and I'm just guessing here, most likely it was by that inner impression that Philip knew by experience that it was the voice of the Holy Spirit. I don't think, and I'm going to go a little bit on a limb here, I don't think that the Spirit wrote it in flaming letters in the sky. I'm supposing, though I can't know for certain, that it wasn't an audible voice. 
that Philip heard. I think it was like so many people have experienced the speaking and the leading of the Spirit. It's just an inner voice, an inner thought, an inner sense. This is what I should do that you learn to recognize by experience is the voice of the Spirit. Now look, like us, Philip was not probably always accurate with that voice, but mostly so. And listen, there will be times when we feel like the Spirit of God is leading us, that we feel like the Spirit of God is speaking to us. There will be times where we get that wrong. Not because there's any problem with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, there's no problem with the Holy Spirit whatsoever. If there's a problem in the communication between the Holy Spirit and me, I can tell you very confidently, I'm the source of the problem, not the Holy Spirit, right? You see, He may speak to my heart about something, And then maybe uh, I only listen to half of what he's saying. Or he may speak to my heart about something and I add on more that he didn't say. Maybe he speaks to me about something that's for now and I want to think it's for later. Maybe he speaks for me something uh, that, that is just for me and I want to palm it off on other people. I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen where the Holy Spirit is just really working with somebody's heart, convicting them of some kind of sin. And you know what they think? They think, oh man, that's a message for God's people. The Holy Spirit saying, no, this is my message for you. You're the one I'm trying to convict of sin. You think, well, everybody needs it. No, you need to hear this. So this is what I'm trying to say is that, yes, we understand that, that we are failable human beings and we don't listen to the voice of the Spirit perfectly. So we have to be very humble about our ability to understand and to, uh, to hear what the Spirit's saying. Nevertheless, we believe that he does speak and he does lead us. And that if we bring our hearts just in this uh, submitted place before him, we will receive his guidance. So what happened? Verse 30, so Philip ran to him. Isn't that great? Can't you just picture in your mind Philip jogging up alongside that chariot? How strange that would be. Jogging up along, starting a conversation while he's jogging. Hey, I noticed you're reading something. By the way, verse 30 says that he heard him reading. It was common in the ancient world to read aloud. That's just how they did it. So, so Philip would know what he's reading. And he hears, man, I reckon he's reading from Isaiah. Hey, boy, you're reading something. Do you understand what you're reading? Now, as soon as he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, at that moment, Philip knew that God was giving him an open door, a prepared heart. He knew God had arranged this meeting between Philip and the Ethiopian. Can you imagine the big smile that came on Philip's face right there? Of course, he might be sucking wind right now because he's jogging alongside the chariot, right? He's breathing heavy. I don't know, maybe he's in good shape, maybe in bad shape, but there he's doing the best he can. But he's getting a big smile. Oh, yes, Lord, this guy, he's reading the Bible and he's reading in this passage, the prophet Isaiah that speaks so powerfully about Jesus. God, you've given me an open door and I'll take it. You know, listen, if you want to bring people to Jesus Christ, just simply pray for for open doors. And this is what he had. And so he jogs along verse 30 and asks the question, do you understand what you're reading? What a great question. It, It was not offensive, right? He didn't say, hey, dummy, you can't understand this, can you? Maybe the Ethiopian did understand it, right? Maybe it was just an open door. Maybe the Ethiopian would say, well, yes, I understand it. This suffering servant, I want to talk more about him. Or maybe he'd say, well, no, I don't understand at all. It was a great way to ask the question because he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch answers back, verse 31, how can I unless someone guides me? 
By the way, that is the proper question of anybody who wants to understand the Bible. You should never feel bad if you need to be taught the Bible. Sometimes people do. Sometimes people wonder, well, why can't I just open up the Bible and get everything that there is in it for myself? Why do I need a teacher? Why can't I just listen to God? Listen, I don't know, explain all the reasons, but I will tell you this. God uses teachers and preachers in the body of Christ. It's not wrong for you to say, how can I understand unless someone guides me? Anyway, going on now to verse 32. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Isn't that beautiful? In God's wonderful planning and the way that God just puts the whole picture together, this Ethiopian was reading of the amazing and specific prophecies in Isaiah chapter 53 that describe the sacrificial, sin-bearing work of the Messiah to come. And when he's done with all of that, in verse 34, he says, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? You know, the Jews of that day had a different, different ways of understanding the identity of this suffering servant that's described in Isaiah 53. Some of them thought that the suffering servant was the nation of Israel itself, as Israel had suffered in many different ways. Some people thought that the suffering servant was Isaiah himself, and he was writing about his own experiences. But some people thought that the suffering servant was the Messiah. But, but they found that hard to accept because they didn't want to think of the Messiah suffering. And so the Ethiopian, who is this guy? And isn't it beautiful? Look there at verse 35. It says, beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now, Philip talked more about just Isaiah 53, but he started there at Isaiah 53 and he talked about Jesus beginning at that scripture. By the way, listen, all the Bible points to Jesus in one way or another. You should be able to, or at least I should say this, I mean, when you've been walking with the Lord for some time, when you've been well taught, if you're one of the pastors on our staff, Reverend Sakes, I should be able to get together at the staff meeting. Maybe we'll do this at the very next time, right, when I get together with our pastors. <laughs> I'll open up a Bible, I'll put my finger to it, I'll say, preach Jesus to me from this passage. Show me how this passage leads us to Jesus. I think I just figured out our next pastor's meeting right here, right? <laughs> you guys better be on your toes, right? Because that should be for everybody, right? Since the whole Bible points to Jesus in one way or another, you should be able to find the line that takes from where you are. Now, listen, I got to say, God gave it pretty easy to Philip right here in Isaiah 53, right? Man, if you can't preach Jesus from that, just get out of the ministry. You don't belong there at all. It's right there in front of you. But there it was, just right there so beautifully, the work of Jesus. And he could point out to him, he said, listen, this is the sin-bearing servant. This is the one who, who was rejected on our behalf. This is the one who was laid down as a sacrifice, as a lamb to the slaughter, on and on. And as verse 35 says, he preached Jesus to him. Philip's effective preaching consisted in explaining who Jesus was, like in verse 32, he was like a lamb... And then also in what Jesus had done for us. It says there that he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Listen, explaining 
who Jesus is and what he has done for us, that's really the essence of the gospel. Don't focus first on what people have to do for God. No, focus first on who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That's the foundation of what God did. But you know what else I like about this? I like that it says there in verse 35 that he preached Jesus to the Ethiopian. Listen, when Philip was doing his work there in Jerusalem, I would just take it for granted, even though the text doesn't tell us specifically that he preached Jesus in Jerusalem. Then he goes to Samaria. And Acts chapter 8, verse 5 tells us that when he went to Samaria, what did he do? He preached Jesus to them. And now he's speaking to an Ethiopian who needs Christ. And what does he do? He preaches Jesus to them. Did you know that Jesus will preach anywhere to any group of people? You don't have to say, well, listen, these people are different. I can't preach Jesus to them. I got to preach something else. No, preach Jesus. Preach Jesus to them again and again. Preach Jesus, who he is and what he has done for them. That's the message that we need to hear. Well, look, going on now, verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 36 tells us that as Philip there is explaining the way of Jesus to him, that the eunuch stops and he says, listen, I'm ready to respond to the gospel. This wasn't the fruit of Philip's salesmanship. This was the fruit of a heart that's been stirred to God. And verse 36 here, see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? The, the, the Ethiopian did in fact believe and he wanted to be baptized to declare his belief. He saw the truth of God and he knew that it was for him. By the way, I just kind of like it that the initiative came from the Ethiopian and not seemingly from Philip. I don't know, maybe Philip was explaining to him the gospel and, and explaining to him about baptism, just like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. Maybe that's how it went. But, but as far as we know from the text, it was the Ethiopian who said, hey, I want to be baptized. I want to respond with faith to the gospel. Now listen, oftentimes here on Sunday morning and in other services of the church and out in the community at large, we give people an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, we do that without apology. We like doing that. I don't mind calling people to make a decision for Jesus at all. The Bible is filled with that principle that, that it's good, that it's appropriate to call people to decision. Here's Jesus before you. Decide. Decide for him or decide against him. I encourage you to decide for him. Here's your decision right now. But listen, there is something glorious about people doing it without any kind of invitation, right? And I guess maybe this is just my message for you here this morning. Maybe... There's somebody here who feels like they should be walking with the Lord. They should give their life to Jesus Christ. They should surrender unto him. But, but you're waiting for somebody to ask you. Can I tell you? Don't wait any longer. You do it on your own initiative. Friends, heaven and hell are in the balance here. Are, are you really going to wait for somebody to beg you to do what's right for your own soul? You're going to wait for somebody to beg you to find forgiveness of sins. That weight of sin that you've carried on your shoulders for so long. You, you, you can be released from it at this very moment. But you're waiting for somebody to sort of talk you into it? Listen, I, I'm willing to drag you to the Savior. But listen, don't have to be dragged. 
dragged, drug, I don't know, whatever the verb goes right there. Don't wait for that. Run to the Savior on your own account. Run to him right now. Today's the day. You can do it right at this moment. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch did. He believed in verse 36 says, listen, what prevents me from doing it? Now, verse 37, just, I do need to make a note about verse 37. Verse 37 may or may not be in some of your Bible translations. In the minds of some people, there's some dispute about whether or not that belongs in the original text. I'm going to take it as if it does. The majority of ancient manuscripts have it. There is some dispute about it. I'm just going to treat it as if it's part of the text. Verse 37 there says simply this. Then Philip said this. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Listen, friends, that's what you can believe with all your heart. Just believe. But believe with your heart, not just the belief of the head. Listen, it's wonderful to have a belief of the head, to say that Jesus really lived, that he really died, that he really existed. Belief of the head is good, but it's not enough. You need to travel that distance, which sometimes, listen, it's only, what, about 12 inches, whatever it is on your anatomy, from here to here, right? Right? But that distance sometimes is the greatest distance in all of humanity, isn't it? The distance from the head to the heart. Believe with all your heart. Not just your head, but with your heart. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at what he says there in verse 37. The Ethiopian said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That confession of faith, with all that it means, is essential for anybody who's going to come to God. First of all, you believe in the person of Jesus. I believe in who he is, and I believe that he is the Christ. By the way, when he said Jesus Christ, he was confessing that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the sin-bearing servant of Isaiah 53. It meant a lot for the Ethiopian eunuch to say, I believe in Jesus Messiah, and I believe that he is the Son of God. Listen, that is believing in the divine son, that he is the son of God and that the father sent him to accomplish the salvation of all those who will believe in him with all their hearts. And that's what he did. And you know what? Verse 38, you read it with me. He was baptized. So he commanded the chariots to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and baptized him. Isn't that great? By the way, there they go right down there and to be baptized. And I love what it says. They went down into the water. Look, I don't want to go into a big digression between sprinkling and immersion. But can I just read it? They went down into the water. I'm no great Bible scar. Draw your own conclusions from that, but I'll just say it one more time. They went down into the water. And they were baptized indeed. Now, verse 39. Now, when they came up out of the water... The spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, look, I don't want to skirt this over. Verses 39 and 40, weird, very weird, very strange, right? What does it say? Verse 39. The spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And Philip was found at Azotus. Look, I don't want to get all Star Trekky on you, but this is something like that, right? I mean, teleported, transported, raptured horizontally. This, I don't know what you want to call it. But Philip was in one place and the Spirit of God immediately took him to another place. 
He was translated supernaturally, or transported, I should say, in some way to the former Philistine city of Azotus, which was also known as Ashdod. Now, that's a strange, perhaps unprecedented event in the scriptures. But a similar thing happened in the Gospels when the disciples' boat immediately came to its destination. It happened in John chapter 6, where the disciples are out on the stormy sea of Galilee. And it says there they were in the midst of the storm. And then Jesus appeared to them. And then, boom, they were at their destination. And I don't mean like in some hydrofoil, high-speed cigarette boat kind of thing. I mean just miraculously transported. strange. I don't explain it. I I don't look for this ever to happen in my... Look, I buy an airplane ticket when I'm going someplace, right? (laughs) I can't explain why. I can't explain how. But you know, it's good. Isn't it healthy for us to just have some stuff in the Bible that we say, wow, I don't know. There it is. I just don't know. But uh, this is what I did. It's glorious. Verse 38. He went on his way rejoicing. The joy of the Ethiopian even after Philip was gone, showed that the Ethiopian's faith was in God and not in Philip. Isn't that important? Because when he left, he was still rejoicing. Philip's gone, but I'm still rejoicing. Because his faith was in God, not in Philip. Verse 40. Passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. This shows that Philip started preaching not only to Samaritan cities, but also to Gentile cities such as Caesarea. And this is the very beginning of the gospel spread to the end of the to the end of the earth, just as Jesus commanded in Acts chapter one. Now, no wonder that Philip is the only one in the New Testament specifically given the title, the evangelist. That's in Acts chapter 21, verse eight In Acts 21, eight finds him still in Caesarea doing the work of evangelism there. Listen, I I just want to close with this thought. Philip had the true heart of an evangelist, and it's shown by the fact that he cared for the many in Samaria, and he cared about the one on the road leading out of Jerusalem. Is that you? Now, I know I've spoken assuming that not everybody here is a follower of Jesus Christ. And I've given you the invitation. I've told you, don't wait for me to drag you to the Savior. Why don't you run to him this morning? And you can run to him. You can talk to people on the prayer team here after service. Yes, that's open and available. But I want to talk to people who are believers. Do you have a concern both for the many and both for the one? God wants you to. And if you don't, just be honest before God and ask him to stir it up in you. If you've lost your concern for the, for the many or for the one, ask God to change that within you. Because you know what? That's the heart of Jesus. For the first time ever, I thought about it this last week. There's Jesus on the cross, right? Now, don't you think that on the cross, Jesus' heart was for the many? For you and I, right? He's looking down the corridors of time and he's seeing you, people that he would purchase with his precious work on the cross. There's Jesus paying for your sins and my sins and his great work on the cross. He's thinking of the many, right? Then what does he do in the midst of that great work on the cross? He turns to his side and he brings one man, a thief on a fellow cross right there. And he brings him into the kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? The heart of Jesus. It's for the many but it's for you as well as the one. Come to him today. Don't wait to be dragged. Run to your Savior. Father, that's our prayer this morning. We come to you, Lord, with hearts just full of um, 
Humble worship, Lord. And Jesus, we want to receive from you this heart for the many and for the one. And right now, what, what we're praying, I, I just want you to think in your mind right now about one person that you know who really needs Jesus. Just one. And just, just pray for them right now.